The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back to me. I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. She was the one that I'd wanted for all times. And each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish I wish back then, I'd never ask for anything again. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he may not answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. So I'm pretty sure I changed keys at some point in that song, and I'm not a singer, but um, I bring up that song by Garth Brooks called Unanswered Prayers simply because we've probably all prayed for something that we didn't receive. And over time, we look back with a sense of gratitude, I think, um, realizing it's not what we really needed. And, and I think it's, it's beautiful because God knows what we need and God knows what he's doing, even if we don't. And to be honest with you, that's something that's kind of a love-hate relationship with me and the Lord in my faith. And, and I say that because I love it because God isn't limited to operating how I want. How pitiful would that be? But then I also hate it because God isn't operating how I want either. And so today on Palm Sunday, what I want to do is take a look at Matthew chapter 21 and observe what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. If you got a Bible with you, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. And uh, if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, go ahead and turn there and, and follow along with us. And if you can highlight and, and take some notes, I also encourage that. But um, what I love is that this is an eyewitness account, Matthew's eyewitness account of um, what happened with Jesus and the disciples coming into Jerusalem. Again, God's way of doing things, not necessarily our way. So Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to go ahead and start reading at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was written through the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the uh, colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road as well. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed all shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Father, today as we walk through this text, as we start Holy Week with Palm Sunday and, and navigate 
what this is about. God, I pray for every one of our hearts to be open to what you want to do. Help me to be as clear as I can. And Father, in the midst of a world where uh, there's all kinds of words like social distancing and shelter at home or in place and and stuff that can feel so anxiety-ridden, God, as we begin Holy Week, I pray there would be incredible breakthrough happening in every single heart as we listen to the message, as we think about what this is about, God. I'm grateful for who you are and what you do in the midst of tough times. In Jesus' name, amen. So let let me jump in here. Like I said, Matthew chapter 21, and it talks about Jesus and his disciples approaching Jerusalem. And this is on their way to celebrate Passover, an annual festival um, for the nation of Israel. And as they head there, Jesus actually says to the disciples to, to go and, and, and talk to some guy about a donkey and bring him. And, you know, so this whole picture is kind of a cool picture um, where it says specifically, it took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then he brings up this scripture. And this scripture comes out of Zechariah 9, 9 in the Old Testament. Zechariah was a prophet of the Lord. And so it's cool to see this is a prophetic verse fulfilling who Jesus is as the Messiah over and over throughout the Old Testament. You're going to see all kinds of verses that remind us that Jesus is the Messiah. Isaiah talked about a suffering servant. Isaiah even said in 9, verse 6, he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, Zechariah 9, 9 is another verse that reminds us that Jesus fulfills this messianic prophecy. Now, another part that I want you to notice as you get into verses 6 through 9, it says the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A crowd begins to gather and they begin to lay their cloaks, their coats down, their outer garments down on the ground. People begin to bow. They begin to break off palm branches and wave them at Jesus as he's, as he's entering Jerusalem. And it's a pretty meaningful moment. They begin to say things like Hosanna, which is a big deal. And I'll get to that in a second. But I want to remind you that this is commonplace for a king, especially back then. Kings, we're not talking about kings as in entire giant nations of millions of people. Oftentimes you're talking about what was sort of in context, the governor of a city. They would be called a king, king of this area, king of this region, king of this city. And so the idea of a king coming and riding on a donkey isn't necessarily, well, wait a minute, shouldn't it be like a chariot of gold and a big crown and a throne on the you know chariot as they make their way through in this giant thing. This wasn't like that. It was commonplace in Bible times for kings to come through a city almost like a parade um, and he would be riding on a donkey. And the donkey symbolized something in the way of humility and peace. And I'm going to get to that importantly in a moment. So you have him coming through on a donkey and this whole crowd of people marveling, whispering, what, this is that guy. This is Jesus. This is him. I see him. And so here comes Jesus. And it was, again, common practice for a king to come in like this. And it's a reminder from Zechariah, here's your king. Here he comes riding on a donkey. It's also a reminder for you and I, this idea of surrendering to an authority. And it's a reminder for you and I, when we talk about this king, which I want to specify here in a moment, but when it comes to authority, when it comes to Jesus being king, where are we at in that conversation? Have we really surrendered our lives? And we'll get to that a little more in a moment. But I love how, um, and I want to talk about this for a second in the time that you and I are living, because as I said, the donkey represents humility and represents peace. The palm branches being waved also represent peace. 
it says specifically they were crying out Hosanna, which literally means the Lord or he saves. It was this picture of Jerusalem under Roman occupation, wanting to be redeemed, wanting to be freed, believing that a Messiah was coming to deliver them, to save them from Roman occupation so they could finally be their own nation again. And so when they're yelling out, Hosanna, he saves, they believe that maybe Jesus is this Messiah that would overthrow Rome and bring us a time of peace. It's also important to remember We're reading the Matthew account, but when you go to Luke, and in Luke chapter 19, verse 38, if you're taking notes, write that down. In in Luke 19, 38, um, we see this similar idea of the crowd crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Luke adds a verse that I think is worth you and I processing just for a second. And it says this, he he brings up um, Hosanna uh, to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Okay. Now this actually is a reminder. He brings up this word peace. It's a reminder of what you hear in the Christmas story way back when, when the angels, you know, appeared from heaven and the shepherds are out in the fields and all this happens. One of the ideas is peace, peace, peace. And I bring it up because the donkey represents peace. The palm branches represent peace. Luke's account of what is said from the crowds includes this idea of peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And Isaiah tells us, as I said a little bit ago in chapter nine, he shall be called Prince of Peace. Now, why am I belaboring this point? The reason I think it's so important is because for you and I in the world that we live in today, if there's anything that's needed, it's a deep sense of God's peace. You're walking through a world where we're going, how long am I going to be sheltering at home? What is my world going to look like if one of my family members gets COVID-19? Or maybe you're in one of those jobs in retail or, or, or some place where they're saying, hey, you're laid off for now. Sorry, we don't have income for you. And you're literally going, where am I going to get money to buy groceries? Where am, where am I going to pay my, how is this going to, what is happening? Can I honestly remind you, it's not uncommon way back when that peace needed to be a big deal. But also in our day, we, we hear things like, hey, you know, peace, man. And we, you know, give the peace sign. Or there's peace symbols, the symbol of peace back in the 60s, you know, uh, make love, not war and peace and stuff like that. And then I think of that song, all we are saying is give peace a chance. And no, I'm not going to sing again. But peace is something this world has needed from way back when all the way to today. And even in our current circumstances, my prayer for you is that would you would turn your heart to the Prince of Peace, that Jesus is our peace. And if you want real peace, you're going to find that in Christ. He's the one who carries our burdens. He's the one who offers us rest. He's the one who says, when you're burdened, come to me. And he's the one that is our provider. And that's not just a cliche phrase that we go, oh, how nice that he's our provider, but how? No, no, no. We're called to pray. Paul even said in Philippians 4, and I brought this up a bunch lately, in Philippians 4, Paul says, don't be anxious pray and watch what God can do. And you're going to have a peace you could never understand fighting to get it, fighting to find it in other places. Your peace is found in Christ. And what better day, the first day of Holy Week, the nine days of, of, you know, Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, how, what better way to begin this whole week than reminding you that you and I desperately need the Prince of Peace.
I want to pray for a moment. We'll come back to the message. God, there are so many today that need peace. And I pray where there's anxiety, where there's fear, where there's so much sense of being overwhelmed by circumstances and crazy kids because we can't leave our houses and we're stuck and it's nuts. God, I pray for you today to bring peace as individuals right now are praying with me, inviting you to be their peace because they're not sure about what this world's going to look like, because they're not sure what what if I get sick? What if my family member isn't going to recover? What's going to happen? Bills and, and just all of these things that come up that bring anxiety. Jesus, be the provider. Jesus, be our rest. Jesus, be peace to so many right now that need it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to continue with the message. And um, this is where you look at what's happening. And again, like I said, this is called the triumphal entry. What's crazy to me is that days after this moment where people are yelling out, Hosanna, he saves, just days later, this same crowd is going to be yelling, crucify him. And we're going to talk about that on Good Friday, which by the way, we have a Good Friday service at 7 p.m. that'll be um, online. You can click on it. We'll have a watch party available for us to walk through Good Friday. We're going to take communion together. So we encourage you to observe that observe that with us this Friday at 7 p.m., both at grove.church and on our Facebook page. So just a heads up there. But this is called the triumphal entry. And it is triumphant because it's the beginning of, of a Passover season, but it's also the beginning of the work that would lead to the cross. And, and I love how uh, there's an author. Let me see if I can find it here. My page turned accidentally. Um, but the, there's an author named Debbie McDaniel who says this about the triumphal entry. Because on one hand, this is triumph. This is amazing. This is the beginning of something amazing. But here's how she says it, and I love this. The triumphal entry is also the first step of Jesus toward his death. And I want you to think about that because we look at this moment and go, wow, they're bowing. They're waving palm branches. The question for you and I, are we bowing? Are, are, we, are we waving branches? Are we laying our cloaks down in surrender, symbolic surrender to who God is? How amazing. But don't forget that this is the first step in Holy Week of Jesus toward his death. Would you and I do it that way? Would we have orchestrated these events so that that this is how things would work? This is where we would find our king? The answer is simply no, we, we probably wouldn't. But, and here's the anchor I want you to lend yourself to today. I want you to think about this. God knows what we need, even when it's not what we think we want. See, this whole thing about Jesus coming into Jerusalem was the beginning of the end of his life. And for you and I to orchestrate salvation, the issue of sin being dealt with through a cross. No, 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 we we probably wouldn't do it that way. But what we understand when you look at the whole of Scripture is that a price had to be paid for the issue of sin in our lives. And that's where it comes to Jesus saying yes, agonizing before this in the garden, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't want to do it this way, but what I want is your way more than I want my way. And that's the question for you and me. That, that for you and I going back to, God knows what we need, even when it's not what we think we want. It's that reminder for Israel back then. Israel wanted a triumphant king, but they were about to get an eternal savior. You and I want certain things in certain moments. Man, I want that. But are we going to get what we really need? God knows what we need. And in the midst of all that's going on, I said a couple of weeks ago, yes, this is a test of our faith. We're being tried 
as Peter talks about, like gold refined in a fire, it's a refining process, but God is getting us to a place of realizing, man, we've got to surrender to him. He was indeed king, but not temporarily. He would become the ruler forever. As we've sung in Christian circles for years, he is the king who sits on the throne. So how about us? What is it that we want? What might God be doing in our lives right now uniquely to get us to him? And are we willing to believe that God will use ways that we don't always understand? Goes back to, like I said, with Garth Garth Brooks, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Here's what I want, but am I willing to say like Jesus, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Years ago, we did a series called Upside Down Kingdom. And in that series, we talked about certain biblical principles um, of the kingdom that go go against kind of how we live in, in, in the normal world, the normal culture that we're a part of. And we talked about things like we've got to die in order to live. We've got to humble ourselves to be exalted. We've got to realize that the first will be last, that the greatest will be the servant, and we've got to give in order to receive. And I love that because these things are all true in the kingdom. But what it comes down to is you and I admitting our dependence on the king of kings. The need for you and I to spread our cloaks in surrender, to to, to bow and wave palm branches and cry out like the crowds in Jerusalem, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, I invite you into my world. I want you to be the king of my heart, the king of my life. Finally, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That's another sermon for another day, but they didn't think that Nazareth had, Nazareth had anything to offer. They didn't think anything amazing could come out of Nazareth in an area of Galilee. What, what, what good is that place? And yet now they're saying there's a prophet, something amazing coming out of that area. Another sermon for another day. Let me ask you this. What does it look like for Jesus to be your king? What does it look like for Jesus to be your savior, to be your peace? When you look back on this season, how are you going to see it when you look back a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? Are you going to look back realizing that you are being shaped the way God wants? Are you going to look back and, and, and realize that you, you grew in ways that you, you maybe never would have understood? What would you hope to see looking back on this season of our world, of our church, of your life, of your family's lives? For me personally, I want to look back and go, you know what? Christ was always on the throne of my heart, as crazy as this time is. Christ is my comforter. Christ as the one who would come alongside me. And as the Bible talks about the shortest verse in all of scripture, Jesus wept. That Jesus comes a lot alongside me and, and, and weeps with me and laughs with me and loves with me and loves me. That's what I want to want to see. Which, by the way, leads to when we receive that, 2 Corinthians 1 finally says this, that, that we receive comfort so that we can give it. We receive from God so that we can give from what God gives us, which I love. A side note to this, I've already received a couple of communications in the last few days of people saying, you know what, right now, my family's doing really good. Who out there can I help? 
my family's doing good. We, we've got things taken care of. Um, how can I help? Hey, one of them said, hey, we're not using our entertainment budget that we've set aside in an envelope right now. Um, is there a family we can help because we're not going to the movies and going out to eat and driving places and that all costs money. We want to give that money to a family that needs it. That, that's what I love. Again, God gives us and, and, and when we have that abundance, we're not called to just hoard it and have it. We're called to give it back out, okay? Which leads me to this final story that I want to share. Like I said, Christ weeps so we can weep with others. Christ comforts so that we can comfort others. Christ sacrifices so we can sacrifice for and with others, okay? In this time, I think of, of what I want to remember. And, and here's a story that I was made aware of this week that I thought was really important to, to, to keep in mind. Um, in the fourth century, there was a a historian named Eusebius, and he wrote um, he wrote uh, basically a book called Church History, and it records a plague that happened way back in the fourth century A.D. And I'm going to read straight from a theological article that was talking about um, this story. So listen to this: the last few years have seen a fair share of books arguing that religion is the cause behind all that's wrong in the world. Although the Christian church has undoubtedly had its hand in a number of dubious moral activities over the years, a more historical perspective suggests that that is only one side of the story. Famine and war had recently afflicted the city of Caesarea. So when the plague hit in the early 4th century, the populace was already weakened and unable to withstand this additional blow. Listen to this. The populace began fleeing the city, one of the larger ones of the Roman Empire, for safety in the countryside. Uh, However, in the midst of fleeing inhabitants, at least one group stayed behind, the Christians. As bishop of the city and a historian of the early church, Eusebius recorded in his writings called the church history that during the plague, and I quote from the 4th century, listen to this, All day long, some of the Christians tended to the dying and the burial and countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine, and distributed bread to all of them. Eusebius goes on to state that because of their compassion in the midst of the plague, the Christians, listen to this, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them that they alone were pious and truly reverent to God. See, when you and I invite Jesus to be the king of our lives, when you and I invite Jesus to be our peace and our comfort and our strength, it gives us that confidence to not only receive it and appreciate it, but to give it out to others, even in dire circumstances. And we see it happening all over our world. And that's why today it's a great day to be the church, as difficult as life can be, Jesus genuinely is the king. And he did make the sacrifice so that you and I could live life abundantly, that others would see it and go, man, I need that peace. I need that confidence. I need that hope. Let me receive it. And then let me get to the point where I can give it out to others. Thanks for listening today. I'm going to pray and we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for all that you've orchestrated that while we may not understand everything, while we may not do it the way you do it in this world, I pray that we would lean into trusting you, believing that this isn't always about what we want or how we want it, God, but it's about what you're doing. God, let us live in a place of surrender that we can receive what you have for us, trusting even when it doesn't seem like everything's happening the way we want, trusting that you're in control 
that you're doing things that we could never orchestrate, God, because you're God. And also, Lord, as we receive it, Father, let it shine through our lives to a world that desperately needs a Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for taking the time today. Here's a couple of directions um, from another one of our pastors. Appreciate you listening. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.